I want us to think, um, welcome along, by the way, my name's Ash, if you're new to Christchurch, I'm looking out, there's a few faces that I don't know, huge warm welcome, great to see you, welcome along to our service, we're making our way through um, the book of Acts, and we're just, we're drawing some lessons, we're holding it, we're holding it as God's word, and as God's sanctified word, but as, as well, we're remembering that this is a story, so we're going we're gonna to observe it as a story. We're not going to not gonna lose ourselves in some of these verses and build whole doctrines on some of these verses. We're going to try and read the whole story. So I encourage you, um, if you're looking for some reading material, and maybe you're sick of me banging on about telling you to read the book of Acts, but it's a great story, and it really helps me as a preach to think that people are reading along because it's a big narrative. And today we're going to look at chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. It's going to take four hours. Are you ready for that? I'm just going to go verse by verse. I'm going to really labor it. I just feel like God's been telling me all week, these people need to stay in church for a long time. So we're going to do that. No, we're not. We're going to... So we've read the end of chapter 5, but it kind of... It's all like one big story. So if, if, you, if I lose my way, or if you lose me on my way, tonight when we get back, uh, read back over it and you'll see that just, there's just this kind of narrative that falls through. So hopefully that will, that will make sense. First thing I want us to think about is, how does this vulnerable movement ever get going? How does this... This church in its infancy ever get started? Have you ever seen those? Uh, I'm a sucker for a wildlife documentary, and you see these new, like the new, the animal that just bursts out. You know, the it's just newly born into the world, or like the chick that hatches out of the egg, that sort of thing. And you think, how's this thing ever gonna ever gonna survive in the wild? And yet the documentary goes on, and the, it becomes an eagle or whatever, whatever the story is. But you look at it in its infancy, and you think this is such a vulnerable thing. And that is a picture I just want us to to have of the, of the early church at the moment, just to recognize the vulnerability of it. So, as Chris read for us, um, the scene is of the court of the Sanhedrin, 70-odd, very well-dressed, very legally aware, astute, and uh, knowledgeable, maybe even aggressive, but informed individuals, and Peter and John standing before them. And there's this big sense, because... Because at least, at least as I read it, they were crucifying people for fun. The, ch- the church was so, you know, so persecuted. You ever watch any of these, these films? I think I bang on about them every week. These films of early Christianity. It's not just, you know, they're not just making these stories up. Christians were hammered and beaten up. And you've got Peter and John who stand before the, the Sanhedrin. And there's just this sense that the, this movement, this church could just get snuffed out at any second. What is it that keeps it going? Gamaliel stands up. I don't know if you noticed Gamaliel stand up as, we, uh, as the text was read out before us. And so Gamaliel, it's like, it's like that moment where, where the wise old man can stand up and all the, everybody else kind of bows to his position of respect. You know, Gamaliel, we'll read later on that Paul sat under Gamaliel and the apostle Paul who, who went on to do great things, but initially he was like, he was fiery. He was an angry dude, but he would bow down to Gamaliel. So Gamaliel speaks into this moment, and he brings a kind of peace. And he says this, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos, I might be saying that wrong, there's every chance that I am, appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. He goes on to tell a story of, a guy called Judas who comes along similarly, he dies and it all comes to nothing. Verse 38, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity 
is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. It's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Gamaliel gets them to think, if this is, you know, it's like we've seen this, we've seen this stuff before. We've seen how this fizzles out before. Just let it go. We can, we can, we can have a peace about this. If it's from God, then, then that will be fine. But it's more than likely the case that this thing's just going to fizzle out. There's just a couple of these people. It's nothing. It can be, it can be whisked away in a second. It's a great question for us to think about as his church today in Cass, 2,000 years later. Why has this church thing just not fizzled out? Just pause over that question for a minute. Pause over where Gamaliel's taking us. Why has this church thing not fizzled out? Why is it? How on, how on earth did we get here? What's that about? How do you get? We've not got that much money. Yet God's word goes out into escape. How is it that the church is born in, in China and it's growing like wildfire? How is it under the oppression that is in Iran? Thinking Iran at the moment is the fastest growing church. How, how is it that this church is not fizzled out? I think whenever I, sometimes occasionally I'm talking to my friends and neighbors and things like that, and I think it's a question that's in their mind. It's like, how, is, how does it keep going? How do you, you know, why, why do you keep going? Why does it keep going? And I guess there'd be a bunch of, there'd be a bunch of like reasons that you could come up with for the success of Christianity, I guess, from a, from a worldly point of view, you might say it's a crutch for the weak, and sometimes you know, it's a, it's a fair argument. That's an argument that I guess uh, maybe atheists will put towards the church. They'll say, it's just a crutch for weak people. And occasionally, probably, that's probably rung true for me. I felt weak. I wanted to go to church. It's probably a good argument. It's pr- another one would be a need for nostalgia. We just, we've gotten used to it. We like, we like the idea of our country having churches. We like the village fate. We like going along to church, we like songs of praise, we like getting dressed up on a Sunday, those sorts of things. It's just part of the story of the nation. Another one might be that it's just the philosophy of life. It's just another, it's another way of looking at the world. And yet, and yet in Iran, where there's none of these reasons really make sense, God's church just bursts out. I'd put it to you, as as Jude probably hinted at, that, and the story of Acts would portray that this it's not really something we can understand being just of men. This story is born out of the, the truth of the resurrection, which is kind of like this unstoppable energy source. It's, it's built out of God's spirit. And as we see, we're going to go through the story, and I'll speed up as we go, but we'll see this. what Luke's trying to say to Theophilus, who's reading this back in Rome or wherever he is. He's saying this story is unstoppable. This, this story is I mean, we get, we get carried along with it as human beings, but this story, God's church, is unstoppable. Um, so if you could pop up um, chapter 4 and verse, verse 1 to 4 up there, skipping back into the story. I just want you to think for a second about, about all the guys that preach in Acts, all the guys that give the, give the sermons out. Um, and as I, so I tried to do that a tertiary read through the book of Acts, and I looked at all the people who, who were preaching in there, and I tried to picture what they would look like. And one of the pictures that came into my mind was that these guys often had black eyes and bloody noses as they preached. They'd often just, I mean, can you imagine that if every Sunday me and Paul or Joe next week got up and we had, you'd think, what's, what's, what gifts? What's going on with these guys? But most of the sermons that you get in the book of Acts, so remembering what we're thinking about, this is our story. This is a story that we learn from. There was... 
there was huge, so the first thing, there was huge suffering, huge persecution. Every guy pretty much that gets up to speak has either got a, a bloody nose or he's going to get one soon. But there's this, and I think this is the right word, there's this incredible paradox that at the same time as we are getting battered, right throughout the story of Acts, the church is getting battered. At the same time, it grows exponentially. It's like it just doesn't almost seem to weigh up. That's the story. Every sermon you read, we're getting battered. These people are getting beaten up. The church is oppressed, and it grows. Why is that? What's going on? And this, and this, this verse here, 1 to 4, kind of clarifies, clarifies what's going on. Um, Peter and John are getting dragged into jail. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But then check out this sentence. So the main guys get dragged into jail, but the next sentence, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men grew to about five the two main preacher guys are getting shot into jail. It's like this, we're going to snuff this movement out. And yet, 5,000 people come to Christ. This is the story that Luke is telling. I think, I think if I wrote Luke's gospel, and I'm not trying to be heretical when I say that, but if I were to write Luke's gospel, I would, I, would, I would want to put less about the suffering. Do you know what I mean? I think if you're trying to persuade people to follow Jesus Christ, I think I'd edit. And maybe, maybe somebody would, maybe, maybe Theophilus thought as he picked it up, Man, I don't know if I want to sign up for this. This suffering, paradoxically, right the way through this narrative. At the same time, the church just expands and grows. One of the things that Luke's telling us, and this is one of those horrible things, and I guess I'm putting it out there, I want you to absorb it as an idea, is that the Christian faith and the story of the church, so Luke's gospel right through Acts, is interconnected with the story of suffering. It's interconnected right through. Think about some of the things that Jesus says to his followers. And Luke's keen to say it, and Luke keeps banging on about it. Jesus says, whoever would come after me must take up his own cross and follow me. Now, to us, we sort of hear that, and the cross is maybe uh, something symbolic or something you wear around your neck. And we, we get it in a, with a, a sense of reverence. If you're a, if you're a first-century Jew thinking about Christianity... The cross says, the cross is a warning. That's what they were there for. It's, it's a very graphic, real image. Just, people saw every week um, people, uh, guilty criminals dragging crosses up, up through the streets of Jerusalem, up towards the hill. This was not a nice image. And yet Luke tells us all the, all the way through. And Jesus stops us and says, unless you're willing to, to take your, pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of following me. And there's this theme that suffering is kind of intertwined as we go through. But the other, the other side of the story is, and the incredible like, picture we get, because we get a glimpse of the shape of the church, is that this suffering, this, this plan, this, you know, this Roman oppression, this Jewish rejection of, of Christ as Messiah, this effort to snuff out the church doesn't work. It only spreads the church. We grow we prosper. Um, my kids will tell you with great glee of the day that um, the day that Dad set the garden on fire. It was it's a horrific. It was a, a very low uh, moment in my life. Um, I was uh, lighting the, the barbecue, and I, I got the. I was just. I get so. I can't be bothered waiting for the thing to start going. So I got the turps out, 
just idiotic, yeah, you shake your head, I idiotically poured it on the barbecue, the flame went up into my hand, was a, you know, the fire, the Terps was on fire, and I, I'd screamed, um, that was my, my first response to danger, and then I threw it on the garden, I thought, that's what to do, throw it on the garden, and then there was a bottle of Terps on fire on the garden, then my next step was, I thought, I need to put this out, and I jumped on the bottle of Terps, that was my next step, jumped, and then flames gushed all across the garden. And then my kids will tell you with great glee, Jude came out. She was on the phone to her gran at the time, and she said, get, she shouted at me, get in the house out of the way, just <laughs> furious. Just, and I did, I got in, and she, she knew how to put the, put the fire out. But the, the problem was, I, I didn't understand the mechanics. I'm an idiot. didn't understand the mechanics of the fire. In trying to jump on it like that, I only dispersed the thing, and it shot out. Remember we were reading last week about the way that the Holy Spirit acts like a fire. We've got to know how to deal with this thing. In the early days of the church, we are persecuted. And yet, because of the nature of the church, because of the truth of the resurrection, this thing is not put out. This is our shape as Christians. It bursts out. It bursts out of Jerusalem. We are opposed more than anything you can imagine. And yet, the story bursts out. We are, I heard somebody um, describe it recently like this, um, it was in the Iron Squad, actually. We are like toothpaste in some respects, made to be squeezed so that you can get more out. I really liked that quote. We are afflicted in every, in every way, Paul says, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to, be, to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not destroyed. This is something about our shape. We are, I don't want to be too cheesy, but it's true. The church, in a sense, is unstoppable. Won't be stopped. Jesus says this. This, this church will carry on. If anything is eternal on this earth, it's his church. And we look around and we think, us? Really? We're the eternal story. It's true. It's us. We go on and on and on. So what does it do to us and our shape? Something to think about. About Christ, just for a second. And what this, what this story of suffering and yet the growth of the gospel can impact our life. Jesus was always getting told he was in the wrong place. It's always getting told, you're, you're in the wrong place. You're heading in the wrong direction. He was always hanging around with prostitutes. He was always hanging around with, with sinners, what we call them, you know, people that have done wrong things or wrong things in the eyes of the Jews. He was always heading in the wrong direction, heading up to, heading up to Jerusalem. His disciples said, don't go up to Jerusalem, you're going to get killed. He was always, almost always heading in, the, in seemingly the wrong direction. But that's what people who save people do, isn't it? They're heading in the wrong direction. You know when you've got, when you've got a disaster, you've got a crisis, you've got a fire or a, an earthquake or something like that? People run in two directions in these moments. Pretty much everybody runs away from the thing. And yet these wonderful people, normally firemen or policemen or whatever else it is, they go in the other direction towards the trouble to save the people. That is our calling. That is why our story is intertwined with suffering and persecution because we're aligned with Christ. He was heading that way. He headed where people didn't want to go. I love that picture of um, maybe too young for 9-11. I don't know if you are. It's not that long ago, is it 9-11? The fireman. Have you seen some of these pictures? of The fireman that is heading up the stairs and there's this, this picture of hundreds of people gushing down the stairs and yet there's a fireman with a, you know old, old worried look on his face and yet he's heading up because that's the way he's shaped He's shaped to save people. He's shaped to head up the stairs. He's shaped to head towards persecution. One of the things that we see in the story of Acts 
is that the people that, the church that Christ calls, don't necessarily seek out or want persecution. It's just part of the story. It's what's involved in saving people. We head towards trouble. And yet, the church grows exponentially. So perhaps, as Peter says, we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves facing trials of many kinds. Or like Paul would remind us, we are co-heirs with Christ if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is part of our shape and part of our story. And yet we've got to remember and we've got to give thanks that this church, even though it's persecuted and perhaps even because it is persecuted like a tube of toothpaste, just goes on and on and on. We've got to take comfort from that. This is the story of Acts. The other way that the church is unstoppable is that it passes on what it's been given. One of the stories that we didn't read out was the story of when Peter and John, so it's at the start, remember we said we're going to look, at, we're going to look really at chapter 3 through to 5, and at the start of this narrative, start of chapter 3, Peter and John go into Jerusalem for the first time. They're going back into the town. Remember we, Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world, starting in Jerusalem, and that didn't feel like a very good idea, and yet the, these two disciples go back into Jerusalem, and they do a couple of things which is just going to get everybody's nerves Everybody's knickers in a twist. That's what they say, isn't it? They say the name of Jesus, and they declare him as the Savior. And they're walking up um, towards the temple to pray, and there is a beggar. Maybe you know this story. Maybe you even know this story in a song. There is a beggar there, and he says to them, Peter and um, John, he says, have you got any money? Peter says, I've not got any money, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ... And that's a big thing to say that name. He says, rise up and walk. Something you've got to think about for a second in this story. This guy's never walked. He's never, ever walked. One of the reasons uh, Luke is so historically careful is that he wants us to know, yeah, this, he met at this gate, beautiful. He, it was at this, this hour of the day, and we, and we know that this guy waited there. We know he's a, a true st- a character from history, and we know that he never walked. And you've got to remember, I guess, to set the scene, everybody, everybody knows this guy as the guy who never walks. Everybody knows this guy as the beggar. And yet Peter says to him, rise up and walk. And then Peter goes, goes out to give a sermon. And there's never been a way, I think, to, to make sure that the congregation's listening, quite like, quite, like, quite like it would be to have a guy who's never walked. The Bible says that he's clinging onto his shirt. I love this idea. Sometimes when you're giving a sermon, you're trying to think, how do, how do I engage the congregation? How do I be interesting? How do I be humorous? How do I engage everybody? And Peter's got a guy who's been a cripple all his life hanging on to his, to his gown. I guess that's going to engage him. In fact, the Bible tells us he's not just hanging on to his gown. He starts leaping and dancing and praising God. Can you imagine the way that this draws people in? And not only that, another thing that you've got to think about, I think Luke gets us to think about, is this guy has never been in the temple never got to worship God it's an Old Testament law meant that his his condition meant that he could never get in there think about the witness that goes out from this this guy will spend the rest of his days inside the temple and men and women look at him going that's the guy that's the guy who couldn't walk the church grows exponentially as God's people pass on what they have been given. Remember what Peter says? What I have. How bad a story would it have been if Peter had a fiver? You know, would that have got in the Bible? Peter does a pocket shuffle and he's like, oh, there you go. 
got a fiver, and on you go. It wouldn't have been in the Bible, would it? Peter passed on what he had, and what he had was God's Spirit miraculously working in within him. The, the church grows exponentially as we pass on what we have, what we have been given. Maybe, maybe sometimes as church we're a bit guilty of sitting there waiting for the great thing to happen, God to, God to move in some incredible way or for us, you know, some miraculous big building comes out of nowhere or something like that. But what we, what we see when we read about the early church is that the, one of the things they do faithfully, ridiculously faithfully, and Matt talked a bit about this last week, is that what they have, they give. Peter didn't have any money, but he had God's spirit working in, in him in a way that was miraculous. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's your gift. Or maybe it's, Maybe it's just that God's equipped you in a way to listen to people or to, to be a friend to somebody or he's given you five minutes in the day here. I don't know what it is. But the church grew exponentially as they passed on the gifts that they'd been given to him. Finally, church is unstoppable because Jesus changes things. When, when, these, when, these, two guys, when these two guys walked into Jerusalem... Just saying the name of Jesus would get them into so much trouble. And uh, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll go back to that picture just for a second of the, of the, of the council. All sat around there. And, and Peter says something to this council. And what happens is the council notice something different. I'll read it out. Acts 4, 8 to 13. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They saw, they saw something different in these men and they attributed it to Christ. I don't want to be um, offensive towards fishermen, but I think you can, you can smell a fisherman coming. You know what I mean? You know what a fisherman smells like. You probably know what a fisherman looks like. And there's, and there's this Jewish council of well-dressed leaders of Israel, well-educated, well-informed men, stood looking at Peter and John, these two, these two fishermen, probably not dressed great. They didn't have loads of money. In fact, they didn't have any money. We know that. And yet they are speaking words of truth so eloquently. They are so transformed. And they're looking at him saying, but these just fishermen, how is it that they can open up God's word in this way? They see, and what they say is, they see Christ in them. They say, these men have been with Jesus. There is something different about these men. I don't know what your story of salvation is like, but I've been amazed over the last couple of years by just how many people have said to me, I came to faith because I, I noticed something different in somebody. I was, 
you know, I was at work and I saw somebody and I just noticed that there was, some, there was something, in fact, this is, when I'm thinking about most of the testimony I've heard over the last couple of years, this is like half the story. I just noticed that there was something different in this person. And having talked to them for a little while, I realized that this was connected to Christ. And in this, in this story, in an amazing way, these two fishermen, changed by God's Spirit, changed by Christ, present the gospel to the leaders of all Israel. And the story grows. God's people expand more and more just because this, they are observed to be different and Christ is in them. I guess when we think about our lives, don't, don't underestimate don't underestimate the power of your witness to other people. When you're thinking, man, I'm useless and I'm not doing any, you know, I'm not making a difference for God and I see the story of Acts and I see this really exciting change. It's, it's incredible how close, especially now, how closely Christians are observed. And yet just that testimony of being with Christ, being changed by him, no big powerful sermon, no big theological arguments, just somebody who is different because he knows Christ. And the story changes. Final point is that they employ the name of Jesus. Isn't it incredible how irritating just a name can be? Somebody gets on the wrong side of you, some name that you don't like, like when you're flicking through Facebook, and you like you flick through across somebody, oh just whoa. Do you know what I mean? Just 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 somebody's name comes up, you're like, I just can't stand that person. And it's just even their name, do you know what I mean? Just even their name, you're like, oh man. Well, that is exactly how it was for these religious leaders, hearing the name of Jesus. And Peter labors it, and Luke's clear to, to say it to us. He says coldly and clearly, this happened in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Remember Nazareth? Talking to the Jewish religious leaders, that place where, that you'd ruled out, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Christ, you know, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that you rejected, this guy, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter says his name coldly and probably with, probably with fear, but with a bit of joy and relief as well, because this is the truth that will set you free. He says the name of Jesus. This is, if, if you're persecuting me because this guy is well, I've got to tell you that it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that he's been made well. This is the only name. And if you read through, particularly the first five chapters of Acts, Peter just says this over and over again. It's in the name of Jesus. That I'm doing this. It's in the name of Jesus. And to say, you know, it's been a month since, since Christ was hung on the cross. Just to say those words out loud is enough, to, is enough to align you with him and have you condemned and put on a cross. And yet Peter repeatedly just says, yep, this is, and he says it, on, you know, under fear of death, this is in the name of Christ that I do this. And every time he says it, he takes himself nearer and nearer to his own death and his own demise. And you've got to imagine, I guess, from Peter's mum, Peter's wife's perspective, all they'll be saying is, do, do whatever you want with this Christian movement, but don't say that name. Don't say that name. Yet, in this story, our story, the church grows exponentially as his faithful followers say, it's Jesus that changes things for me. It's Jesus that's turned me around. When it, on, on face of death and everything else, it's Jesus that changes things for me. And here's, here's like the rub of it for me. I, I am getting better and better, actually, at talking quite flowerily about my faith, about spirituality, about even God, 
about morals, about all this philosophy and all this sort of stuff. I'm really good at that. But do you know, what really, do you know what's really hard, Christian, to say? Maybe it's not for you. Maybe you're saying, Ash, you've got this wrong. I'm good at this. To say the name of Jesus to somebody who, who you don't know that well or doesn't come to church, just to get those words out, and yet it's Jesus that changes things for me. And yet, in this story, it's as the disciples point to the nature and being and name of Jesus that the story grows and changes. This is, this is an unstoppable story. It goes on and on and on. And if you read, if you, if you read through chapters 3 through to 5, you'll see they get, they get banged up in jail, they get beaten up, they come out, they deliver a message, they get banged up in jail, they get beaten up, they come out, happens over and over again, they get banged up at one point and an angel of the Lord comes out and it almost feels to me like the disciples wouldn't want to have been let out. They want to break. They get put out again and again they find themselves in the streets because the truth of the resurrection was too real and too strong for them. God's spirit was moving so fiercely. They find themselves as part of the story that is unstoppable, that goes on and on and on. Sometimes, another one of my guilty pleasures, not guilty pleasures, guilty errors, is that you get to this point in your Christian faith where you think that somehow it all depends on you. Do you know what I mean? Do you ever get that? The, the energy that you need to get up in the morning, uh, whether church is going to be successful or not, or something like, oh, you know, the whole Christian journey, and you get this, you get this focus that it is all sustained by our own efforts. One of the stories that we see in Acts is that we get the right way around of this story. It is not like we can self-create this energy. It's that it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the truth of the resurrection. These men are helpless against it, and they go out preaching the word of God. When you're tired and when you're starting to think in your faith, man, I, need to, I just need to make more effort with this, just to make this thing work. Maybe more people will get saved, or I'd, I'd feel like my prayers are going somewhere if I just made more effort. And I'm not decrying effort at all. But the story in Acts is of a bunch of guys who recognize that their energy source is in Christ, the truth of his resurrection, their spirit working in his life. Plug into that, and I think you'll get nearer to Christ. Again, the story of Christ's church is fueled by the resurrection and truth and work of his spirit.